All right, all you light babes out there. This is Tara, and uh, let's talk a little bit about our gin and our gems for Gin and Gems, the podcast. Woo! So this monthly podcast that's going to drop every new moon, there's going to be three main segments. So segment one, brought to you by yours truly, we're going to talk about some rocks. The actual gems. I am the gem of the show, I like to think. I'm Amanda. I'm a Gemini. After rocks, we'll get down to business and make some cocktails. Because can't be gin and gems without the gin. So we'll make a little cocktail. My general idea is that I'm going to try and incorporate ingredients that I find inspiring from the topics that we're talking about and stuff like that. It's going to be like a little potion, so to speak. It is largely going to be alcoholic, but I do think sometimes I'm going to sprinkle in some mocktails and make it accessible to everyone. And then from there, I'm going to be covering our metaphysical and like divination topics. I largely really into astrology and tarot. I'll be picking out a topic based off of our theme of the month and kind of just diving into that and kind of kind of learning us all something new. And then for part three, I am going to bring you some light and shadow work. My name is Stacy. I am a Scorpio with a Sagittarius moon, so I feel very qualified to bring you this light and shadow work. Some weeks this is going to be just exercises for you to do. I'll bring you some yoga. Maybe we'll dive into some chakra. It's going to be all kind of things to help you feel like a better you. And then lastly, we're to close out every episode with a card poll. We all have various tarot and oracle decks, so we're going to just like pick whichever deck resonates with us. And then we are going to pull a card for basically everyone listening, and it will kind of be our monthly affirmation. Well, you guys, welcome to our first episode of Gin Gems. We're really excited. This month, we're going to focus on new beginnings. One, it's the beginning of this entire project in Gin and Gems. It's also the beginning of the Zodiac Wheel and Spring Equinox. So we have a lot to cover today and we're really excited. Yes. Yeah, happy to be here. Ooh, hey, tell me one. what uh, drinks you guys are having. Ooh, well, Amanda made me a little gin and tonic with lime juice, obviously, and then also some rhubarb bitters. Yeah. A little twist on a classic. I'm drinking a Negroni. So that's basically equal parts Campari, gin, and vermouth. And then I have a dehydrated orange round in there. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm just like Snoop Dogg, you know. Um, gin and juice. This mm-hmm. this gin and juice is made to you. Made to you. <laughs> <laughs> this this gin and juice is brought to you by OJ, not Simpson. The juice. <laughs> yes. So today uh, we have a few topics we're going to cover. Tara's going to talk about Rainbow Moonstone and its physical and metaphysical properties. I'm going to make us a New Beginnings inspired cocktail. And then I am going to talk about the Fool and the Fool's Journey in Tarot. And then Stacy's going to cover the Spring Equinox and the light and shadow work involved in the changing of the seasons. Okay, to start us off this evening, Tara's going to talk to us about Rainbow Moonstones. Go for it, girlfriend. Okay, girlfriend. <laughs> well, and the fun thing about Rainbow Moonstone, it actually belongs to the Feldspar group of minerals, the Orthoclase group. So it's not actually Moonstone. The most widely known stone in that same category is Labradorite. So Rainbow Moonstone is actually just a white Labradorite in those black specs that you see in the stone is tourmaline inclusions the great thing about those inclusions is tourmaline is a very protective stone and so when you are going through your new beginnings with your with your rainbow moonstone those inclusions kind of bring a protective atmosphere to it rainbow moonstone even though it's not truly moonstone its ruling planet is the moon And it's related to the Cancer Zodiac sign as well. And so it really derives a lot of its power from the moon itself. It's most powerful during a full moon and begins to lose some of its power during 
a waning moon and it increases in power during the waxing moon. Physically speaking, rainbow moonstone will specifically be beneficial for your internal organs and arteries. So kind of think about your blood throw through your body. Okay. Yeah, it's really kind of cool. And then from a more metaphysical perspective, and one of the reasons why it's so great when we're talking about new beginnings, is it really is a stone of balance. It's also known as a stone of new beginnings because it's filled with really receptive energies. It's known as more of a feminine energy stone, but it's really great at that balancing of masculine and feminine energies. So if you find that you're feeling a little aggressive or things like that, this could be a really great stone to help balance that out. So if it's related to labdurite, like how do it and labdurite like have things in common, but also how are they different? Okay, so a traditional labdurite is more to temper some negative energies. It is really flashy with that blue flash. So physically, when you're looking at it, it'll have that. It's also a stone known for transformation and enhancing your strength of will and your inner your inner strengths. So labradorite is more focused on like a specific chakra. Also, where moonstone is a little bit more all inclusive. Mm-hmm. It can apply a little bit more universally through to all the chakras. I've heard it, you know, people like to use it for third eye or their crown chakra. For labs? For the moonstone. Oh, for the moonstone. Okay. Yeah. For Well, for rainbow moonstone. But it, it does align with all of the chakras for different reasons because it is a pretty universal stone. Okay. Yeah. And part of the reason why this ties into our theme of new beginnings also is because it's a really generational stone. So rainbow moonstone is kind of relates to that ongoing, you know, cycle of cycles, if you will. It's linking our overall lives plan to your current life as well. Okay. And so there's a lot of cycling to that. And I mean, if you just think of, how we're evolving as as individuals and as people we are all going through cycles as well so yeah like I'm definitely getting some like karma and reincarnation vibes off of that yeah yeah think of it that way I will think of it that way thank you you're welcome (laughs) I give you permission thanks (laughs) thank you and then so just like labdorites are just a little bit more transformative basically so it's kind of like becoming something new almost whereas like the moonstone maybe just has more of an emphasis on the cycle itself yeah so labs are like very transformative i think in like your current state where right rainbow moonstone is more generational so it's like the cycle of cycles and like all of those different moving pieces kind of bigger picture yeah and where it's like with the lab it's like a i'm looking for my transformation right now like how could i transform and right be more or whatever but then the moonstone is very, like, almost recognizing that constant cycle of transforming. Yeah, I think that works perfect. So being associated with the moon, would you say, like, the rainbow moonstone is also maybe more tied into your emotions? Because I tend to think of the moon as, like, the unconscious and, like, the emotional stuff. Oh, yeah, coming back to, like, it being ruled by cancer, which is right. yeah, a exactly. very emotional sign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, guys. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, as your resident Cancer moon, literally my moon is in Cancer. Wait, is your moon uh, Cancer? Maybe I'm also a Cancer rising. Oh. But my actual moon is Cancer. <laughs> yeah. This is yes. a moon Cancer. It's you. So, you know. That's watery as fuck. It is. Oh, my God. Okay, then. <laughs> I don't know what the Okay, so speaking as a Cancer moon. So speaking as a Cancer Moon, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> can confirm. <laughs> yes, we are. It is an emotional stone, I would say. Well, think about how painful transformation actually is, mm, and and yeah. the realizations that come along with that, mm-hmm. and things too. So it's never a fun process. It no. never, it never is. And so when we're talking about transformation. The first thing is being able to recognize. I feel like that's an important piece is you mm. have to recognize, recognize, 
whatever change you want to make. And so that awakening mm-hmm. process, or even whatever change is happening, yeah, like, mm-hmm. might not be something you want, but it's coming mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That awakening process is really difficult and messy, but it's often really glamorized. It's like, oh, you're awakening, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. so awesome, yay! Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's so painful and it's mm-hmm. so intimate mm-hmm. and it's really difficult to share that path with other people. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like what we have to do is stop glamorizing things because we think that they're beautiful and start recognizing what it actually is. It's a wonderful chance for change mm-hmm. and for that transformation to take place, but not necessarily making it seem so warm and fuzzy because it's not. And I feel like also if you're making it a warm and fuzzy process, you're not Mm -hmm. doing it right. Or you're not submitting yourself to the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And it just, I think at that point when you glamorize it, it comes off as kind of shallow and it's like, are you really going through the process at that point? Right. You're definitely not going deep. Yeah, exactly. You're just, yeah. Like what are you, what are you doing at that point? Right. Right. So it also is recommended that you charge your rainbow moonstone Mm. during the full moon, of Mm. course. So you guys have a couple of weeks to get your moonstones ready for that full moon and Mm. just keep a tumble in your pocket or a tower on your desk and keep it as your daily reminder that we're all going through something and making some changes to our lives Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. I definitely have like a, mo- a rainbow moonstone uh, worry stone. Oh, so that that gets used. <laughs> oh, <God>. Fair. <laughs> God, stressed about all this transformation. Right. Oh my God. We're so stressed. We need a drink, Amanda. Oh, shoot. Is it cocktail oh, time? Shit. I think it's cocktail time. It's oh, cocktail my time. goodness. Should I say it's rocktail time? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I will make it say cocktail. Yay. Okay. Okay. Well, let me take a sip of this other drink first. Okay. Okay. So tonight for our cocktail, I came up with a little drink that we named the Sagening. So... Obviously, I'm starting with a gin drink for the first episode, since we're gin and gems. So I am, I like my drinks a little boozy. So for me, I usually, for this, I'll do like two ounces for the drink. And then I personally put in a splash extra for myself because that's how I like it. But by all means, don't if you don't want your drink to be that boozy. Okay, so roughly two ounces of gin. And then I have some Lillet Blanc, which is kind of like a fortified wine. And I'm gonna do about an ounce of that. And then I am doing about an ounce of a sage symbol syrup that I made. And just FYI, all of the info on how to make that will have already been posted on our Instagram. So you can check out the recipe there. And then I'm adding just a little over half an ounce of lemon juice to kind of balance the sweetness from the sage simple syrup. And then I am popping in one egg white. When you shake that in a cocktail shaker, it gives like just a really foamy, frothy feel. And it just makes like a nice, light, fluffy drink. So when I pop this into a cocktail shaker, Usually what most bartenders will recommend is you actually do a dry shake on your cocktail first if you're gonna do an egg white drink. So you literally just put your ingredients in with the egg white with no ice and just shake it up. I do also have a mini whisk ball, which really helps froth up the egg white a lot faster. That way you don't have to put in a full workout just to make yourself a drink because who wants to do that? So I'm gonna get this going. It's a whole thing. Okay. Once you've gotten a good shake in, like usually when you're shaking a drink, you can actually, uh, with the egg white, you can feel it getting thicker and you can kind of just feel it getting more dense and like hitting the walls of the cocktail shaker. And so that's when we actually pop some ice in there. Okay, since I have so much time 
to talk as I make this drink. One little tidbit is that putting a drink through a cocktail shaker basically means that the ice dissolves into water so you dilute the drink. So you end up with something not quite as strong and blatantly boozy. You shook it so hard, baby. So grabbing a chilled coupe, if you don't have a coupe, like a martini glass also works really well. You just want something with enough surface area on top to disperse the foam. Mm, so frothy. And then something I have noticed over time is that it's almost nice to let it sit for like 30 seconds so that the, the alcohol portion separates from the foam portion. Mm, yeah, let it settle, exactly. But then from there, I'm gonna garnish it with some sage. And in that time, it's pretty much ready to drink. Cheers, girls. Okay, and that's how we make a sagening. It's really nice and light, that mm -hmm. lemoniness. I'm really into making it refreshing, but you know, I'm a sweet girl and I can still taste that sweetness. And I feel like the sage also brings out that herbaliness. So as somebody who tends to like sweet drinks, I don't typically get a lot of those like light and refreshing type of drinks. They're typically really sugary or fruity. Mm, and so this mm -hmm. is nice where it has that lemony, it has that like acidity. Feels, feels refreshing. But it's still refreshing. It's it's still a, like a light sweetness. Yeah. It's not like punching the face sugary. Right. Sage seemed like just like a really perfect go-to for this first episode. I know like a lot of witches in their practice, like they incorporate like burning sage in their homes to like cleanse their space and just like give that space a little bit of a reset. Basically, it's like not necessarily like dispelling negative energy like you would with like tourmaline, but it's really just like cleansing and like resetting, which kind of comes back to that like new beginnings. Basically, it's like very fresh slate. And I actually learned recently that sage belongs to the salvia plant family and is derived from the Latin word salvere, which actually means to heal, which feels very appropriate for sage and sage burning and kind of what that tends to mean to the witch, Wiccan, pagan community. And then from there, like, I know a lot, a lot of cocktails have like a shaken egg white in it, but it felt especially appropriate to incorporate that in the drink this time because to me just like an egg represents like new life and like also kind of that blank slate and just the idea of newness oh, fresh, start. fresh starts exactly and they do like also like eggs like you kind of think easter which is very springy to me so it also kind of ties in with the season but yeah that's my drink the sagening Ooh, thank you for sharing that recipe with us amanda now can you tell us about The Fool's Journey? Why did you choose to share that with us today? I feel like The Fool's Journey is like really significant and worth exploring if you ever really want to dive deep into tarot. And it also, I think, helps you get some context out of a lot of the Major Arcana cards. So the basic idea of The Fool's Journey is that you take your Major Arcana cards, there's 22 total. The Fool is actually card zero, and then basically all the other cards are one through 21 making 22. So the Fool represents a lot of what we've been talking about today. It's new beginnings, it's setting forth on a new adventure, and generally just being like really bright and starry-eyed and looking into all this potential that you see in yourself and the world. So obviously we do need to talk about the Fool briefly because we do need context on that. So I also think it's worth noting that like I'm definitely using the writer weight when I talk about this and I am putting them all out for the three of us to look at. So I'm using the writer weight tarot deck because it's really just the standard tarot deck that usually when you see tarot pop up in pop culture or whatever, it's usually just what you see. It's very the standby classic and what a lot of people think of when they hear about tarot. And a lot of tarot decks are very strongly rooted in the Rider-Waite imagery. So today when I'm putting these out, I am specifically using my Rider-Waite tarot deck so that we can look at its imagery specifically. So with the Fool, when you look at his card, and this is something I love about Rider-Waite, is that its imagery is so vivid and specific. It doesn't take a ton of like expert knowledge to really 
glean a lot of information off of the symbolism if you just take a moment to think about it. So it's like the Fool in the Rider Wait deck, you can see him, he's looking into the sky, he looks hopeful, he's clearly looking at the world ahead of him, but what he doesn't see is that he's about to step off a cliff in front of him because he's looking out into the world. And so it implies this danger in like almost being like too headstrong. And kind of a usefulness. Yeah, it's it's a an extremely useful card. Like it's a basically a teenage boy, like sixteen to eighteen years old, just like really experiencing the world for the first time. Okay. So Tara, earlier I remember you saying something about the Rainbow Moonstone and it having like a protective property because of the tourmaline in it. Right, yeah. So something actually really interesting that I thought of when you're talking about that is that the fool actually in the Rider Waite card, he has a small white dog. Dogs. So good, so loyal. He has a small dog, like, kind of running after him and, like, specifically at his heels. Dogs do obviously represent just, like, loyalty and protection, and it almost feels like this dog is trying to get him to notice the cliff he's about to walk off of. And so I... I like that imagery in that it's like there is an element in the world trying to like bring you back into reality a little bit and like ground you. This white dog is basically Pip. Oh. Right? Interesting. Which it's funny when you think about crystals and, and minerals and gems and all of that stuff because mm-hmm. in that aspect, black is more of the protective color. Yeah. And in this card, it's white. Yeah, it's definitely like in really most western interpretations of color white is definitely supposed to represent purity it's the opposite in a lot of eastern cultures but right away is very i think western european so you know take that as you will and then from there speaking of that purity the fool also is holding a white rose in his hand that is also supposed to represent his purity just him being so almost naive and not understanding the world in front of him So basically, the fool embarks on a journey throughout all the major arcana of tarot. So the fool's journey is organized into basically three rows. So cards one through seven are the first row, eight through 14 for the second, and then 15 through 21 for the last row. So the first row is supposed to be a representation of the material world and your consciousness. The second row is kind of like yourself and your subconscious. And then the last row is spirituality and the divine. Is it ever possible if somebody wanted to, let's take this fool's journey and make it more personalized to them? Mm -hmm. Is it always by number or can they shuffle and say, okay, for me, let's say the devil is in your top row and not the final row so this isn't like a like a reading or anything it's like the idea it's more of a thought practice okay and a philosophy and like it's a story and it's like it's basically supposed to give tarot readers like a perspective on the major arcana and what it's actually supposed to represent as a whole and a big picture and not just the individual cards i think a lot of people get really caught up in just memorizing like the meanings of the cards specifically but when you actually take the time to understand like the story as a whole, you actually start to understand how these cards are supposed to relate to you when you pull them out of the deck for yourself. So in the first row, it starts out with the Magician and the High Priestess, and I'm really not going to cover every single card in the Major Arcana because that's a lot. But the Magician and the High Priestess, I think, are especially worth noting because they are like the first two figures that the Fool meets in the first row, the idea of material world and consciousness. So the first world is really supposed to represent like people and ideas that we encounter kind of in the beginning of our life, basically. And not just like, oh, when you're a child, but when you're first really experiencing the world. And the magician and the high priestess almost kind of represent this idea of how we're supposed to approach reality and approach our world. The magician is ruled by Mercury. When you look at the Rider Waite imagery, like he has an object of each suit like in front of him on a table. So he's like a very He's very tangible since he's ruled by Mercury. Mercury represents communication, ideas, and knowledge, basically. So, and I feel like you really can put that into the magician. The magician is generally very assertive, 
he really manifests, which I feel like is a word that pops up all the time. But like, I really like bringing that word manifestation back into the magician because I think you better understand what manifesting is actually supposed to be. It's not just like manifest your feelings and make it happen. It's like really truly like bring all of your things together and create it, make it happen. And if that's the magician, then the high priestess who's ruled by the moon, which we were talking about earlier, she's a lot, she's not even really emotional, but she's, uh, the moon can also be really secretive. And then the high priestess also represents, she represents like psychic knowledge and spirituality even. So the high priestess is a lot less tangible. She is really, I don't want to call her self-centered, but that's not the right word, but like she's very focused on self and inner work. Whereas the magician is very, again, like communication, very out there. So the high priestess and uh, the magician are very like a yin to a yang type of thing. And so when the fool first really embarks on his journey, these are the first two people that he meets. And he's kind of met with this question of like, how do you want to approach the world? Like, do you want to be like driven, assertive, tangible, moving constantly? Or you're met with the high priestess and her approach is a lot more philosophical and intangible. And do you want to approach the world focusing on your inner self constantly? And like really focusing on that more spiritual growth. So would you almost say like you need both? It's like finding that balance. Yeah, basically. And I think that's basically something the fool needs to learn. It's like mm -hmm. what what is his approach? Like what works best for him? Like do you want to be more magician or do you want to be more high priestess? The magician's really going to find a lot of social and career success. Like the magician is, uh, again, just very ruled by socialization communication and knowledge so i think like honestly especially in our society like our society really favors the magician because the magician produces and makes and creates tangible things are we making comments on society a little yeah because i would interpret the high priestess as almost like mental health basically yeah and so with the magician focusing so much on the tangible, he's maybe missing out on mental health. But I also feel like if you focus too much on mental health and you're not being a human, you know. You, al you almost don't push yourself either. Yeah. And so I think you can get into a rut either way. But I, I think it's really important for like what you were saying is our society focuses on the magician because he produces mm -hmm. and we've had these conversations before just in friendship yeah in exactly. all of these years yeah that like is somebody's worth based off of what they can produce or is it based off of like how they make you feel right exactly and it's like you might impact the world in a really good way just from being like a good person and interacting with people in a really positive way but society doesn't necessarily value that in the way that being nice doesn't keep a roof over your head. But yeah, it's like the high priestess represents like a much more passive approach to life, which isn't necessarily bad. And it's like, I almost think like in, in an ideal utopia, like perfect world for a moment, like we actually kind of get rid of that illusion of like what I produce is what I'm worth. And like, if we actually got rid of that, and I think if people were truly able to live as freely as they want to, they probably would be a lot more passive in the way they live. And they would do them things for themselves because they want to. And, like, create because they want to and, like, really bring themselves that type of happiness. So, you know, start getting into a lot of those, like, social constructs and stuff. Maybe I'll stop there. Um, it's a lot. But, yeah, so it's like the fool is kind of confronted with that choice and starting to see that at the beginning of his adventure how do I want to approach life how do I want to deal with all these things in front of me so he meets those two and he goes through the first row which is the magician the high priestess and then he meets the empress and the emperor which are kind of a duality of not just like man and woman and rulership but also there's like definitely a softness to a harshness and so he basically the empress can represent his like the authority figure that is his mother and vice versa, the emperor can be his father. So those are things you deal with early on in life. And then you go to the Hierophant and then you are almost dealing with like your religious upbringing and how that affects you and your perspective on the world. 
you reach the lovers, which is very much like obviously learning about romance and how you're going to handle your dual relationships, your partnerships. And then the chariot, I almost think, represents this idea of like people asking you like, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, how are you going to conquer the world? And so that's where like that first row of the tarot is all very, it's very tangible. It's very social. It's like these like things that you very immediately meet in like the first part of your life. I always also think of it as like the different parts working together as a whole. So it's like, well, how are you using what you've learned so far? Yeah. Like, how are you going to put it together and put it into action? Well, and it's interesting that you say that actually, because you can't actually bring the chariot back to the high priestess because the mm. high priestess has um, a black mm -hmm. and a white pillar on either side mm -hmm. of her mm -hmm. and the chariot has a black sphinx and a white sphinx mm -hmm. on either side of him yeah so it does almost recall back yeah. oh, to the high priestess in that way but at the same time he also holds a wand like a magician and he's also very action-oriented like the magician oh that's so interesting i didn't actually know that yeah it's like tarot mythology yeah love it very nice so side note really fast, I have actually been practicing tarot since I was in high school, so I guess that would be 12 years. So a lot of the information I'm sharing today is really just stuff I've gleaned off of various sources over time, but I do actually have to say there is one source specifically that I always look back to. It's a book called The 78 Degrees of Wisdom by Rachel Pollock, and actually the person who gifted me this book was tarot back when we were like 20. Hey, hey so tara being so super sweet and thoughtful gifted this to me back when she lived on the other side of the country and it was like my christmas present one year and i use this book so much it just has like a lot of good reference to kind of like the mythology of tarot and like how it relates to religion and stuff like that but then also the interpretations of like the individual cards and stuff so it's been a great resource so a lot of this idea of like the fool's journey is outlined in Rachel Pollock's book, but I definitely, since I've also seen so much information just around in various sources, this is like definitely kind of my personal interpretation and that kind of how I've brought it back around to myself and kind of my uh, perspective on it. So with that being said, we're going to come back to the second row of the fool's journey and those cards which I believe to represent like the self and the subconscious. These are kind of considered like trials and challenges that the fool is supposed to experience in his life. So it's kind of like you've learned all these things about society and kind of like how that is supposed to affect you. And now you're taking all of that and you're kind of internalizing it for yourself and what you make of it. So it's like, do you be like the first card strength where you are strong, you persevere and you wrench open the lion's jaw and like take what you need basically? Or do you be like the next card, the hermit who learns all these things about the world, gets really overwhelmed and becomes like kind of a secluse and like turns in on themselves, like fearing all of these things that surround them, like these things that they can't really impact on their own. It's almost this feeling of like, not just helplessness because the hermit isn't helpless, but they kind of looked at everything and said, I don't like this, so I'm withdrawing and retreating. And so the fool is basically experiencing all of these new ideas, like going through the wheel of fortune that everything is kind of random and chaotic and maybe out of your control or justice who, I mean, brings justice basically. And like sometimes justice isn't necessarily, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, like justice isn't always just, if that makes sense. It's like, I, like, I, like, I feel like that sounds so unfair, but like, you know, as we always heard growing up, like life isn't always fair. And so it's like the world's idea of justice might not be your idea of justice. And then you get to the hangman, which starts actually approaching this idea of the hangman is like martyrdom. But I think for the fool, it kind of represents starting to become in tune with these things and starting to understand a little like it brings about understanding a little bit i have a quick question about how this spread is physically set up uh -huh. and how that might also factor into the interpretation so if you look at this spread and we will get it posted on instagram so you yeah. can see this mm -hmm. but so the magician and strength is directly under the magician those are both very like i guess achieving type of yeah 
where the high priestess, you have the hermit directly under the high priestess. Yeah, and it's like... That's also very, like, internal. Yeah, and it's like, you know, we haven't gotten to the third row yet, but even in the third row, too, you actually see that, where it goes, like, the high priestess, the hermit, and then the tower. And, like, the tower is definitely supposed to represent, like, a spiritual reawakening. So there is actually a lot of thought process behind that as well but usually like the columns of cards do have like an underlying concept that they represent as well that's just a lot to get into so then after the hangman comes death which a lot of people view as like being really negative but really it does actually really come back around to like new beginnings and almost like reincarnation basically like everything that dies is reborn in some way or another so it is also very karmic in a way And so that's actually like a really big life lesson that a lot of people really do need to come to grips with. It's something we all face at some point. And I think with us hitting close to 30 or are already 30, it is something I think we're starting to come to grips to just like, oh, we're not young forever. But it's like that idea of death is something you do kind of have to accept in your journey and live your life kind of knowing that that's something we will all experience one day. But then at the end of the second row is temperance, who represents a lot of balance and acceptance, basically. So it's basically taking all of these life lessons from this second row of the fool's journey and kind of applying it to these more social ideas in the first row and how you start balancing these life lessons with the world around you. And so I feel like that's a really important concept for us all to really understand the balancing, like taking all of these more conceptual ideas and applying them to our world. So the last row is more, to me, it's like the spiritual, like spirituality and the divine. And with like this hint of a, like a loss of self, I do like take that idea and look on the idea of like reaching nirvana, basically, where you learn like the Buddha learned so much in his life that he eventually becomes at peace with himself and has like a more spiritual understanding of the world around him. And he basically has taken all of his life lessons and his experiences with the world and hits acceptance. And that's when you hit Nirvana. So the cards in this row can be like really difficult to read and understand sometimes. And like, it can be hard to apply them to you because they're basically so intangible. They're very high priestess and not very magician. So, like, these are all very, like, concept-based. So, it's like you start with the devil. The devil basically asks you to honestly let go of a lot of your material stuff. The devil, like, really represents indulgences and stuff. So, you, like, letting go of those things in order to find more balance in yourself. But then, basically, the fool walks through and he runs into the tower, which a lot of people think is as a really awful card. Like, everything is coming, like, falling down, shattering When you look at the Rider Waite image, it's literally like people on fire falling out of a crumbling building with lightning striking at the top of the building. So it's like the opposite of a fun card. It's really not a good time. But like this underlying concept that I don't think is actually touched on a lot in the tarot community is that like since this last row is about like spiritual reawakening, it's more this idea of like when everything comes crashing down. How do you take all of that and rebuild on top of it? Because usually when you're still in that process of your life where you're just experiencing like your outer world, like you're not really thinking like if something like the tower happens to you, you're not quite thinking, how do I take that and rebuild on it and make it better? So a lot of this row really does ask those spiritual questions about your experiences. Like you have your life lessons, you understand the world. How do you take that into a broader understanding of things? And, like, the star kind of represents this, like, balance of giving back to yourself and the earth. The moon represents this idea of balancing your your carnal self with your more tamed self. Like, when you look at it, there's, like, both a dog and a coyote howling at the moon. And that almost kind of ties back into the magician and the high priestess. How do you take that duality and find your balance? And then the sun kind of reaches that, like, acceptance of the transformation judgment you finally start to hear this call and that's truly like your reawakening it's the end of your transformation it's the end of this really painful process you start to understand all of these things you've experienced going through this entire journey and you start like you start hearing that call and like that like voice in your head that says like hey you're like you're here 
And then once you truly have accepted that judgment call, the last card you come to is the world, which is very much like you, you hit nirvana. Like you have this worldly understanding. You don't just understand like these physical things or just yourself, like not just the magician, not just the high priestess, but all of the things together. And how do you mold it to make it for you, basically? And kind of calling back earlier to when I was talking about the trope of the hero's journey, and they're going through like this whole trial. What I like about this story for the fool's journey is that it's not, it doesn't have plot points. It doesn't have these like big major things that happen. It's just how we experience life as people. And there's definitely a thought that like maybe like some people never make it out of the first row. They always go through life just experiencing the things directly around them and not really facing the challenges in the second row and understanding themselves and like how they interact with their outer world. And then a lot of ways from there, even less people actually make it to the final row of the spiritual journey and accepting that spiritual balance with everything around them and themselves. We're just a bunch of fools. We really are just a bunch of fools. But yeah, so it's like this last row is like not really an easy thing to grapple with. And especially when you pull it in tarot, it's like they can be like really difficult to understand sometimes just because they're so broad and complicated. It's like I don't think it's something that like spirituality is not something any of us fully understand in a way. So... But yeah, uh, calling back earlier to The 78 Degrees of Wisdom, the book that I was talking about by Rachel Pollock, she does talk about the fool's journey. She does definitely frame it differently. So again, this is a lot of my perspective, but there is one quote I found from her book, very interesting, that I just wanted to read to you guys really fast. Basically, we hit the end of the fool's journey, we get to the world, and she says, we are now able to act in the outer world while never losing the sense of vastness and wonder within the magician and the high priestess united in one joyful dance so basically like at the end she recalls back to the high priestess and the magician and she's basically saying like you got confronted with this decision early on on how you want to approach the world and now you go through this entire process did you find that balance where do you think you are at in this cycle wow yeah. sorry you don't have to answer uh, I mean, where do you think I am in the cycle? I'm probably still in the first row, to be honest. I would agree. Yeah, like, I, I have a hard time. I feel like I definitely have some life lessons from the second row that I've begun to experience. Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, I feel like I'm probably at the high priestess. <laughs> I'm, I'm second card in. Yeah, like, I think I've gotten... I've made my peace with, like the empress and the emperor and the hierophant actually i think i've probably made it past the lovers even though i'm single but i think that's kind of the point mm. for me i've been single long enough to actually understand what my duality is supposed to look like i'm probably just hitting the chariot basically mm. yeah what about you stacy for me i feel like i'm starting to like conceptually understand some of the second row like some of it yeah. But then I'm, like, in practice, like, actually, probably still in the first row. Like, I definitely, like, I feel like the Hierophant comes up for me a lot because I am still struggling with it. That makes sense, yeah. Um, like, absolutely. And I do have the Chariot come up a lot, too. And I think that's kind of my, like, my call to action that I just haven't quite hit yet, so. Yeah. Yeah, probably still the first row for the, for the most part. Okay, so I hope you guys appreciated my very long, drawn-out rant about The Fool's Journey and a honestly somewhat deep dive into the tarot. I hope you guys can take what we talked about here today and uh, be able to apply it back to your practice a little bit more because I do think a lot of these concepts really do give you a lot of insight to the big picture of the cards and not just like the individual cards. But now that we've gone through that entire journey, let's bring it over to Stacy for light and shadow work. All right. So this episode is coming out around the spring equinox, which this year is Saturday, March 20th, 2021, in case you're listening in the future. So the spring equinox is a time when day and night are about the same length. 
It actually comes from the Latin word for equal night. I'm not going to pretend to know how to speak Latin very well. Maybe Amanda can help me. Oh, love that. It looks like that. Iquis. Iquis. Iquis Nox. Iquis Nox. So that means, yeah, equal night. And so this also represents to me the balance of light and shadow work, like in addition to the actual literal light and dark of the day. Um, so I'm very into cycles and natural rhythms, especially the four seasons. I'm very into the idea of like rebirth and growth and decay and then like renewing. And so with, within that, there's also moon cycles, which have the same cycle of like growing and dying and rebirth and all that. So with people who live in areas that might not experience all four seasons, what, what are, what's your insight on that? Yeah, so I feel like even if you're not literally experiencing the four seasons, there's something really nice about having three months out of the year that you're just dedicating to a certain thing. So like, even if you're not experiencing like the deep, dark winter, like it's kind of nice to give yourself three months just to like rest and like take a break. Mm -hmm. And then like when like spring comes around, it's like then you can start your projects again. And like, I think it's just nice to have that. And like give yourself a break because I know for us like living in the Pacific Northwest sometimes it's like it's really hard to like work on the projects you want to work on because it's just so dark and like rainy and you just don't want to and so rather than like punishing yourself for like not doing those things be like you know what I'm wintering right now like yeah. this is my new moon I'm resting I'm like it's that dirty part of the phoenix before it rebirths basically yeah so spring corresponds with the waxing first quarter moon. And this is a time for growth, abundance, starting new things. You're gaining momentum. It's also a good time to commune with nature. So I personally feel like it's a much better time to be starting resolutions because I feel like New Year's is the worst time. Like, I'm sure, it's the, like the start of a year, but like you give up after five days because it's just cold and nasty. Spring is such a better time to start some new stuff. So for just a little mini history section. So this right, the spring equinox is also the pagan holiday of Ostara. And that is named after the Anglo-Saxon goddess Eostre. I did YouTube how to say that. I mean it's it's hard to remember. There's a few different translations, but Eostre, which is also very similar to Easter, which I believe is where it comes from, and that's why Easter has like eggs and bunnies fertility rebirth it's like it all kind of comes from the same thing which that makes is interesting sense. little baby chicks yeah and throughout history like many different peoples have celebrated this time like i found evidence of like persia rome the mayans and actually at chichen itza it's a modern like destination for the spring equinox to go to the the temples there because the one that's called el castillo there's something about the dragon on the side that the light of the spring equinox hits in like a certain way and like lights it up. So it's actually like a modern destination, even though it's like thousands of years old. Doesn't Stonehenge do something similar? I think Stonehenge also does. It yes. like does that basically where yeah. the spring equinox mm -hmm. lines up with it. Yeah. And like yeah. the light mm -hmm. shines through like a portal. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's so this is like an ancient tradition, like from all over the world. It's also the beginning of the zodiac wheel, like we mentioned before. So we're going from Pisces season into Aries, which is more water into fire, which I also like. So some ways that you can celebrate the spring equinox in a more modern way is you can plant some seeds, you can go for a hike, you can do something like lay in the grass. Literally One thing that I... Stand outside on a sunny day. You can just like bask literally, in the literally sun. Literally just take a quick walk in the sun. Yeah, like, and just, like, appreciate it and, like, really feel that and, like, be thankful. Transitioning from winter into spring, one idea that I thought was kind of cool was in a day, watch both the sunrise and the sunset. Oh, and just, cute. like, really, like, use the whole day to, like, appreciate that balance. It's like Tara gets her vitamin C from her gin and juice. But then also, if she goes out and watches the sunset and the sunrise, she's mm -hmm. also going to get her vitamin D. Vitamin D, morning and night. Your vitamins are going to be so balanced. So yeah, overall, it's a time to be thankful for all you went through during the winter or through your new moon phase, if you're not really experiencing winter. And then it's a reminder 
to open your hearts and spirits to like beauty and prosperity around you so like whatever that looks like for you it's just to like appreciate what was and then transitioning to what is and, and new things so it's a great time to set new goals and to work on balance in your life evaluating where you want to be and then where you are and how to get there basically like a gap analysis yes exactly yeah but also what's a gap analysis oh this well uh, <laughs> please tell me i'm stupid a, a gap analysis is really it's just like a, a business term that's like okay here's the production that we want let's do a full evaluation of our current production and what's that gap? And what do we need to do to close that gap? So, right. It's literally just analyzing what you need to do to get to where you want. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, spring is the perfect time to do that. Yeah. It's like your chance to start working towards everything you dreamed about doing all winter. Yeah. That's which, so relatable. Yeah. Which I feel like Amanda, especially, she may have started a lot of projects in the fall. Summer and fall. <laughs> Well, like so many ideas and projects in the summer, thinking I might, I would be able to follow through in the fall. And then it got so cold and dark Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. seasonal depression. Mm -hmm. And then somehow it's six months later and there's all these projects that have gone untouched for quite a bit now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just waiting for the spring to revitalize me and give me new life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, exactly. So if you want to do some like higher vibe, lighter work, it's a good time to just like really appreciate nature and like experience that, go for hikes. Something else you can do is take some time to honor your inner child and do something that you used to just really love. It doesn't have to have anything to do with spring. Just do something that you used to love and find new joy in it. In a way, I actually also find that to be really relatable just not just with the seasons in general, but I think, so I mentioned earlier, I really dove into tarot when I was in high school. And it's something I've always like held very closely to me, but when I went through like a pretty rough period of depression in my earlier 20s, like I basically lost all interest in all the hobbies I once had when I was in high school and like younger. And so I didn't really actually start revisiting tarot heavily until basically this time last year. And I actually just saw like something I posted on social media earlier today, Mm -hmm. kind of recalling back into that time when I was first starting to Mm -hmm. dip my toes back into that practice and like my spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it was weird how like the spring really revitalized that Mm -hmm. in me. Mm-hmm. and like really made me like crave those things I once loved so much yeah and yeah. saying like I want to revisit those things that I knew made me really happy and there's no reason like it won't make me happy now mm-hmm. like the spring really motivates me to revisit all of those things that I enjoy and love yeah well, that's awesome yeah like it's so nice so spring is just a really great time to show up for yourself whatever that means to you Like, whether it's revisiting something old or starting something new, it's a really great time to just do what's on your heart. So growing and changing can also be really hard. It can bring up a lot of insecurities, and this is kind of where the shadow work comes in. I kind of think of it as building muscle. It's like it's not fun, and it's hard work, but it makes you stronger. So I had a little step-by-step thing I wrote down for if you're struggling with coming up with something new, it's like you're feeling like, everyone's out doing all these things it's like so sunny out but I'm just sitting here like I can't I can't get myself going like what should I do step one was identify your dreams and goals like what do you want to do where do you want to be and then identify what's holding you back and then identify what's really holding you back like go a deeper level and be like okay what is actually like stopping me from doing this thing And from there, and this is probably the hardest part, is to acknowledge and accept that part of you and that that is a part of you and to have compassion for yourself and where you're at right now. And then from there, you know, start again. You're like, okay, with this in mind and with this version of myself, how can I still work towards my goal and work with yourself, not against yourself? And the last thing I had was that amongst all this 
energy and maybe pushing yourself is to also remember to check in with yourself and make sure that you're not pushing yourself too hard and ways that you can do that could be like meditating or hiking journaling if you have a mindfulness practice do that you can take a bath it's just really important to find ways to restore and nourish your energy as you go and so like remember that as you're still going through all your all your new things and all your new goals like still coming back to yourself and remember that you are growing and that that's hard and that takes work and just like just take care of yourself god that good old painful transformation that we're constantly going through spring all spring is a treat yourself well maybe not all spring so i almost want to say like end of winter is a treat yourself like you've gone through winter Mm -hmm. you've done it it's over like you're at the very end you might as well start treating yourself Do we want to? Yeah, we should do our affirmation. Yeah. Yeah. Our poll. So I decided to pull the fool out of the deck. Okay. So that we can relate the card back to the fool. Okay. Felt appropriate. New beginnings, new adventures. We're about to hit our spring equinox. So we're about to start goal setting and starting to feel revitalized and full of life i know i'm already feeling that full energy of going in headstrong and just mm. going for it because i'm finally mm-hmm. gonna have energy again yes. i've been even feeling that the past couple of days now that there's been sun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let me just shuffle this real fast so we would love to just like pull a card for all of you our little light babes and We hope that when we pull this for you, like it can be kind of like a monthly affirmation and you can take the idea with you into this next moon cycle and apply it to your life in whatever way that resonates with you best. I know one of the things that I'm trying to focus on and I just keep pulling cards that are related to this, but it's just like listening to your body. Mm -hmm. I'm so bad at that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like... Mm -hmm. Basically, will run myself into the dirt before I'm like, oh, maybe I should take a chill pill. Oh, same, man. Yeah, I think it was basically quarantine that really forced me to listen to my body. Yeah. Like, finally getting a break from working full-time retail. Mm-hmm. And, like, being like, oh, is this what it's like to slow down and focus on myself for, like, mm-hmm. a minute? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, shit. This is what I've been missing out on. Got it. Well, it's like when you're like that, in that, like, almost survival mode also, Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) don't even get me started. (laughs) Yeah. You you don't have hobbies Mm -hmm. and, like, things that you love. And so it just kind of depletes. It sucks everything out of you. Yeah. It depletes the meaning of life, whatever that might be. Right. Right. And then you get used to that, too. So you feel like that's that's yeah. all there is. I think there's so much more to life than, like, that hustle mentality. Mm. So we've set the fool aside for this monthly affirmation specifically since he's going to kind of represent our new beginnings. And so this card pull is going to be directly tied back. All right, Stacy, I'm going to have you pull this card. All right. Don't fuck it up. Right. Don't pick a bad one. Or Sonny's going to have to come All and pick the card for us. Hopefully listeners are counting on you. Okay. So for this month, we got the sun. Love that we got a major arcana card because that really ties into our very long fool's journey topic from earlier. Okay. So the sun definitely represents a lot of like good fortune and prosperity. I mean, it's so bright and... I don't know. To me, it's like bright and looking forward, Mm -hmm. which the sun coming up for our spring equinox stuff is so appropriate because I desperately need some sun in my life. Yes. Same. Same. I know the sun definitely represents like a certain level of like acceptance and kind of moving forward and kind of like bright future type things. I love the naked child? baby. It's a, it looks like a naked child. It is a it is a naked baby on a white horse. He looks he's so, so carefree and so happy, and I love that for him, and I love that for us. <laughs> yeah, well, I think like that is actually supposed to also indicate like celebration. Oh, yeah. Wait, and what since, is? Uh, well, the card itself, oh. the sun. 
celebration, but you can you can but you can see that in the naked baby's pose. I oh, thought you yeah. were saying like being naked is like a celebration. I will always I celebrate mean. being naked, Tara. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is its own topic, but I will always celebrate that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like it's definitely a celebratory card, and since that one is in that last row, really one of the last cards in the Fool's Journey. I mean, it's card 19, but it's like card 20 out of 22. So you basically go the sun, judgment, and then the world. So this is kind of like a you're celebrating getting there. And like kind of like celebrating your actualization and your manifestation. All right. I think that concludes this entire episode. Thank you guys so much for joining us as we kind of talk through this first episode. We'll definitely post a picture of our monthly card. We would love to hear your thoughts on it and what it means to you. Yeah. So hop on over to Instagram to see all of the photos. And definitely hop on so that you can make my cocktail. Yes, go try that out. It's delicious. And our Instagram is Gin and Gems Podcast. That's Gin A N D Gems Podcast. Hell yeah. See you there, light babes. <laughs>